So, um, guys, one of the things we don't want to do, which is what I think most of the world does with this whole concept of Zion, is they reminisce about Zion sitting by the rivers of Babylon. Remember that Bonium song, all those guys here who are above 35? By the rivers of Babylon... I mean, I thought that was a really cool godly song, but basically it's a very sad song, man. They're sitting by the river Babylon and reminiscing of the good times and the songs of Zion. We're not called to reminisce about Zion. We're supposed to live in Zion. Psalm 137, one talks about the rivers of Babylon. We don't want to, we don't want to sit by the rivers of Babylon to reminisce about Zion. So, I used to see, let's start there. See, a growing child needs to grasp what his or her parents see about the child. What I mean is, let's take James and Sapna as an example. Right now, Sarah can come up and do her little boogie-boo dance here and shout and stuff like that. But there are dreams and there are uh, ways that uh, James and Sapna see her. And when Sarah begins to grasp what James sees for her in the future. When Sarah begins to grasp what Sapna sees for her in the future, and we are praying that Sapna and James will grasp what God sees about her so that they can transfer it. Once a child begins to grasp what the parent sees, the child can then begin to shape and become that. It's the same way. God is fine with us understanding that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is gr- happy that we understand that we are a community that is built by the Holy Spirit. God under- is glad that we've understood that Christ lives in us. But now God wants us to go to a place where we move from adolescence to maturity to see ourselves as a Zion people because Zion was something that God has been talking about from the beginning, man. Before anything called born again, before anything called Israel happened, Zion happened. Zion actually existed even before the world was created. The whole concept of Zion. We'll talk about it. You can switch it off now, man. So, um, it's only if we as children begin to grasp what the Father wants us to see, that we'll be able to be shaped into that mold. For example, if you look at Israel, Israel saw themselves as the chosen ones, right? But guess what? Israel never saw themselves as a son. Israel never saw themselves as a kingdom of priests. What a sad thing, eh? They got stuck at seeing themselves as the chosen ones. In fact, today the Jewish nation still sees itself as the chosen ones and have forgotten that there's a destiny greater than just being chosen. They're supposed to see themselves as son. God said that about them. Israel, my son. Israel, my son. But they never saw themselves as sons, man. They only saw themselves as chosen. They never saw themselves as a kingdom of priests. In Exodus 19 or so, it's, God says, you are a kingdom of priests. You are my model nation to show the nations of the world what it is to belong to a nation of whom God is president. But they missed out, man. They went and told Samuel, we want a king like the other nations. You see, that can happen to us. Where we see ourselves as chosen, we see ourselves as heaven bound, we see ourselves as the temple of the Holy Spirit, but we forget that there is another phase that God wants us to see ourselves as, which is, He wants us to see ourselves as Zion. We'll talk about what Zion is. But do you understand why we need to see with eyes that we begin to begin to move us from adolescence to maturity. 
Because still the church here on earth does not see herself as Zion. She is missing out. She is missing out. So, Zion is a theme that runs throughout the Bible like a thread that just goes continuously, man. You'll see it from Deuteronomy 4.48. That's when Zion is mentioned first. Deuteronomy 4.48 is when Zion is mentioned first. And then you see Zion mentioned in Revelations 14.1. Revelations 14.1 says that, and the Lamb, um, along with the Lamb, 144,000 people stood on Mount Zion. That's how Revelation 14.1 uh, talks about Zion. And in Deuteronomy 4.48 it says that near this place called Aror was a mountain called Zion. So Zion has been a theme that has been running consistently through the Bible. And it's called many different names, guys. Sometimes it's called uh, the Holy Mountain. Sometimes it's called the City of God. Sometimes it's called the Mount of the congregation sometimes it's called Jerusalem sometimes it's called the city of David there are many different names for it but these are just some of them so they are used interchangeably in the Bible like uh, some of the references you can find it in is Psalm 76 Psalm 48 uh, Hebrews 12 you'll find these different terms used for it. Sometimes it's called God's Holy Mountain. Sometimes it's called City of God. Sometimes City of David. Sometimes the Mount of the Congregation of uh, the Mount of Assembly. Sometimes Jerusalem and sometimes City of David. Which is why in Hebrews 12.22 it says, You have already come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the new Jerusalem. And we talked about this ages ago. The concept of Zion was in the mind of God. Okay, we talked about this last week. What was Zion initially? Anyone remembers what Zion was initially? It was a fortress on a small hill. And it was was a Jebusite stronghold. David comes, defeats the Jebusite, and suddenly this fortress on a small hill becomes his city. He calls it the city of David. And then he brings the ark to the small hill. And now it becomes the mountain where the ark of God or the presence of God dwells. And so then David built his own palace and began to rule from there. And he began to call it the city of David. All these are names of the small hill. It's not a big majestic hill, hill, which is why it's compared to a whole lot of bigger more majestic hills, but it's a small hill. But guess what? Before God even created the topography of the small hill on this planet Earth, Satan knew about it. Satan knew about it. In fact, when Satan was being cast out of heaven, you know what he said? I want to sit on the mount of the congregation. You see it. Go to Isaiah. Let me see where it is. Uh, go to Isaiah fourteen thirteen. Isaiah fourteen thirteen. Isaiah 14.13 Isaiah 14 verse 13 this is um, these words are attributed to Lucifer speaking Uh, it says that in Isaiah 14.13 you said in your heart I will ascend to heaven 
I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. So Satan knew of this concept called Zion even before the earth was as such created because Satan's fall happened before Adam and Eve entered Eden. So he was aware of this concept even before. Please remember that. That is how that is how potent a, 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 a thing Zion is. Or I, I don't want to call it a thing. We'll call it what it is a little later. That's how potent Zion is. That it was something that Satan wanted to take over right from the beginning because he knew that it is out of there that ruling and dwelling will happen. Which is why as long as it stays hidden he is in a sense getting indirectly what he always desired. God's concept of Zion never changed but Israel and the church came to represent the very opposite of God's ideal. In fact, Zion became a place of desolation and I would suggest to you that today either Zion is hidden or the church which should become this thing called Zion is in desolation. If you go to Lamentations 2.6 Lamentations 2.6 Lamentations is after um, what's it after? Lamentations is after Jeremiah. Just showing off, huh? Mm -hmm. Jeremiah. Lamentations 2.6 And it says there in Lamentations 2.6 He has laid waste his dwelling like a garden. He has destroyed his place of meeting. The Lord has made Zion forget her appointed feasts and her Sabbaths. In his fierce anger he has spurned both king and priest. It had become a desolation because Zion failed to recognize what she was supposed to be. But then there's this marvelous verse in Psalm 102.16. If you turn to Psalm 102.16, then we'll break for questions. Psalm 102.102.16. Psalm 102.16. And here's what it says in Psalm 102.16. It says... For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. See, God knows how it was made desolate. But God says, I will come and rebuild Zion. And when I rebuild Zion, my glory will be evident. My glory will be evident. So, please understand that Zion today, I mean, we all know this. What is Zion today? Zion is a people, guys. We'll talk about it next. God is basically saying, I'm going to come and rebuild Zion, a people, so that I may manifest my glory through them. And guys, it's vital that we get with God's rebuilding program. <laughs> because God so wants to rebuild Zion. I said Zion was uh, a fortress, then it became David's city, then it became a place where the ark of God dwells. Today, where does God dwell? In a people. Previously, where the ark was, was where Zion was. The ark was placed in Zion. Zion was called the city of God because God dwelt on this small mountain in what was symbolically represented as a box called the ark which the priest would carry. Today, we're not any more symbolic. We have become that people. We are Zion, guys. 
We are the ark. We are Zion. We A people have become Zion. It's us. And he's saying now that I want to rebuild Zion. Meaning I want to put it back together the way it should be so that my glory can be manifested. So that it can appear. Um, Wayne, I'm going to take a break for questions if you want to do whatever you want to do. So, questions. So, let me write it down. Zion is a people not individuals. I am not Zion. But I am one who belongs to a people in whose midst God dwells. So let me say that again. Zion is a people, it's not individuals. Zion is a people and not individuals. I am not Zion, but I am one who belongs to a people in whose midst God dwells. It's an important distinction to make. You cannot be a maverick in Zion. Yeah, you cannot have a solitary living stone because that stone, regardless of how strong it is, is not living, it is dead. Zion is a people, not individuals. I'm not Zion, but I'm one who belongs to a people in whose midst God dwells. Who? So please understand that, that if you want to be a Zion person, you have to belong to a Zion people. It's just like, Uh, I cannot go and stand and say, I am Canada. No, 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 no. I can only say, I am Canadian because I belong to a nation called Canada. But if I go and say, I am Canada, they'll laugh. So it's the same principle. And these people are marked by a unique culture, unique perspectives, Unique benefits, man, you have no idea the benefits. Unique characteristics. These people are marked by a unique culture, unique perspectives, unique characteristics, and unique benefits, man. When you check the benefits out, you'll say, this is the best place to live in. Just like they say, Canada is the best country to live in. This Mount Zion is the best people to live on. And the strange thing is, when you go anywhere because you belong to this people, that culture, that perspective, those benefits follow you wherever you go. Just like if I were to go to Timbuktu or to Haiti, I would still have the benefits of my Canadian citizenship. It's the same way. But am I Canada? No. But do I belong to a people called Canada? Yes. And therefore the benefits that are given to the people of Canada are now mine wherever I go. It's the same principle. Can we break for questions? Am I good? 
Okay, we're going to look at benefits in Zion, man. This will blow your mind. Benefits in Zion. The first thing we look at is protection. What kind of protection do these people of Zion have? Because God has made them his favorite, favorite, favorite dwelling place and is jealous over them and thinks that they are the best place to dwell in and he thinks that um, they are the place that he wants to rest he feels most comfortable resting in their presence you know when I go and travel uh, to India for example you can put me up in a really nice hotel or you can put me up in my friend Christie's place guess what I'd really enjoy the hotel but you know where I find real rest at Christie's place it's like that. God is saying, you can be all you want to be, but you know what? Zion is my favorite resting place, Jacob. So be Zion so that I can really rest. It's that kind of a thing. So, because God rests here, over Zion, I love this, over Zion, we're talking about protection now, God spreads a covering. Over Zion, God spreads a covering for defense, for defense, and it becomes, it becomes a perpetual stronghold, it becomes a perpetual stronghold. Let's go to Isaiah 4.5, Isaiah 4.5. I had no idea we'd be talking about this when we chose Isaiah 4-5 as uh, our uh, theme for the year in January. Isaiah 4-5. This is delicious. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion let me replace the word Mount Zion with people, the Zion people. Then the Lord will create over all of Zion people and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over all the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and the rain. This is what is being given to us as a people. You suddenly realize that, so when you, wherever you go, this is over you because you are a Zion people. Suddenly you don't have to necessarily pray that the plane will stay in the air or that your car won't be broken into or that your house be safe or that you be pleaded over with the blood of Christ so that no demons attack you because the Zion people who understand, align, grasp and live out of that knowledge that God dwells Amongst them, always walk under this cloud of fire and smoke, which is a shade over them, come heat, rain, storm, whatever. It's a continuous place of existence, guys. This is why I say, if God actually turned up and said, I want to live in your house, trust me, man, you'll go to sleep with the door left open. You'll have your laptop sitting at your door. You, you'll work on your laptop at the door. You'll put your 42-inch TV out in the corridor. Why? Because God lives in your house. Who the heck is going to touch that now? It's the same kind of principle. It's like that Knight Rider thing. 
Please step away from the car. <laughs> I love this next one. It's from Isaiah 33. Diana can, I guess, recite it um, blind, but Isaiah 33 and verse 20. Isaiah 33, verse 20. Look upon Zion, the city of our festivals. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful abode, a tent that will not be moved. Its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its ropes broken. There the Lord will be a mighty one. It will be like a place of broad rivers and streams. No galley with oars will ride them. No mighty ship will sail them. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. Guys, the picture is of Zion being a people. So Zion being a people and God's putting a huge river, like a broad river, like a moat around it. And so what happens is, no pirate ship, no mighty battleship, no destroyer can come anywhere near Zion, because God will not allow them to ply in that defensive moat called this broad river that he's put around Zion. No one shall come that way. No pirate shall take it. That's what is meant. This is the kind of people we are. We've got to align ourselves with this understanding. Because somehow, both the spirit world, humans and God knows when we believe in something and when we don't. I love the next thing I want to say. You know, if you go to Exodus 19.13, someone can turn to Exodus 19.13. Exodus 19.13 Let's start at verse 10. Exodus 19.10 19.10, yeah. This was with reference to Mount Sinai, which as I was saying to James is not Mount Zion, but is sometimes used as um, uh, um, a, 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 a model because God came and uh, dwelt on Mount Sinai when he spoke to Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the, all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Verse 13 is what I want us to look at. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only the, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, may they go up to the mountain. Guys, the point I want to make is this. Because God resides in this people, they become the mountain of God. And no beast can touch it accepted the penalty of death. Let me say that again. Because we are the mountain of God, because God now resides or dwells in this people, now no beast can come and touch it. And by beast I mean to represent the enemy. No beast can touch it except at the penalty of 
death. Because any beast that touched it was immediately shot or stoned. And so we suddenly need to understand our privilege that even if a beast should dare to touch it, as David says, when the lion or the bear used to come and take away a sheep, I used to go and get the sheep back. If the lion turned around again, I would catch it by its neck and smite it. It's the same kind of thing. When we become a Zion people and begin to live by the standards of Zion, when a beast comes and touches it, when the enemy comes and touches it, we have the ability now to stone and shoot it, in a sense of speaking. It's the same principle. That's the protection we have in a people called Zion. Do you realize why we need to become these guys? In, understand, understand, keep exploring and understanding its fullness and not just understand it, but become it. Become it. Yep. You turn to the next page. You're doing so good for time today. Provision in Zion. Provision in Zion. Psalm 132, verse 15. Psalm 132, verse 15. Starting at verse 13, Psalm 132, verse 13 onwards, and then we get to verse 15. For the Lord has chosen Zion, he has desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever and ever, here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. Verse 15, I will bless her with abundant provisions, her poor will I satisfy with food. Once we become a Zion people, you will find that in all your households, not once you become a Zion people, once we begin to grow into all that Zion is, it has already started guys, you will find that in all your households there will be provision. I am not a prosperity preacher and stuff like that, but I am telling you the truth, a Zion people in each of their households there will be provision. You know why? Because remember in Second Samuel 6, 11, there was a time when David was bringing an ark into Zion and he had to put it temporarily in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Why? Because he carried it the wrong way. And Second Samuel 6, 11 says, so they brought the ark and put it in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Bible says, all the time that the ark was there, that guy prospered, man. It's called the Obedidum principle of prosperity, if you want to call it that. When God begins to dwell in the midst of a people, households begin to have their supply of provision, period. Doesn't matter what the economy is like, doesn't matter whether you have a job or not have a job. I am telling you the God honest truth. Why do I need it even to say that? I'm just telling you the truth that when God dwells, when the ark dwells amongst the people, the households of that people are provided for. I am saying, please connect into this. Connect into this Zion people. If you don't want to connect into this Zion people, go connect somewhere else. Into a Zion people. Into a Zion people. Someone who aligns themselves with this concept. Because if you don't, you will still do extremely well. But why settle on the other side of the Jordan? Simple. Two tribes did. They got into a lot of problems. Joel 2.20 
I mean, we quote this. I've quoted it all my life. But Joel 2.20 comes with new meaning now. Heidi, do you want to tell us where Joel is now? In the Old Testament. Before Amos, after Hosea. Joel chapter 2. Joel 2 verse 20. Start at verse 15. You know, did you know that that scripture is actually talking about a Zion people? I didn't know that. Start at verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room in the bridal chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. The Lord will reply to them, I am sending you grain, new wine and oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive away the northern army or the devourer far from you, pushing it into a parched land and barren land, with its front columns going into the eastern sea, and those in the rear into the western sea, and its stench will go up, its smell will rise. Surely he has done great things. Be not afraid, O land. Be glad and rejoice. Uh, surely the Lord has done great things. Be not afraid of wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the wine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring, as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. Your vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locust and the young locust, the other locusts and the locust swarm, the, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be ashamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel. I am the Lord your God and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. Even that whole thing about the locusts and all is talking to people in Zion saying, guys, this is what I will do for you. I'm restoring the desolate heights of Zion. I'm rebuilding a people and because I'm rebuilding a people, because I will dwell in them, look what I'll do for you. That's what it's saying. Hong Kong. God will pour upon this people rain required to sow things early, bring them into maturity because the autumn rains or the former and the latter rains, the former rains were supposed to help you in sowing. The latter rains was to help you in bringing your crops to maturity. And God is saying, people of Zion, I live in you. It is natural for you to have the Obed-Edom principle happen in your midst because I, your glory dwell in you. You shall be provided for. You will have rain sent upon you on your crops in due season. You will have that because I dwell amongst you as a people. Didn't I tell you, you are my favorite home? Didn't I tell you that you are my rest? Didn't I tell you that this is what I have desired from the beginning? Didn't I tell you that? How will I not do for you what I have said so many times to you? This is what it means to connect to a people called Zion and to become a people called Zion. We are already that. But we shall grow in it. We shall grow in it. Just because a child reaches the age of 18, maturity or puberty doesn't mean the child starts stops growing. The child keeps growing. 
we shall become that. All this applies to us spiritually and physically, guys. You have to be a part of this people to benefit personally. This is why Peter quotes it in um, Acts chapter 2, where he stands up uh, after the people think they are all drunk. He stands up and says, no, 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 we are not drunk. This is what Joel prophesied, that your men shall see visions. Where do you think that happens? It happens in a people called Zion. Keep reading Joel chapter 2. It says in verse 28, And afterward, afterward, after I have done this for you, Zion. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance as the Lord has said among the survivors that the Lord calls. It was all in the context of Zion. Like Elmer is saying, the church is supposed to be Zion. To settle for anything less is to be stunted in our growth and reach the age of 16 like Benjamin Button. Keep growing younger instead of growing older. Oh, that's just a movie that I heard about. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I haven't seen the whole movie, so I wouldn't recommend it. I don't know enough to recommend it. Yeah. Gotta be so careful when you say talk about movies because <laughs> they'll think I'm recommending it. Haven't seen it, don't know about it, heard about it. Now, go to the other scripture. Where was that? Um, Isaiah 33, 24. 24. Look at another provision that people in Zion have. This blows my mind. I didn't see it. I stopped short of it. Isaiah 33, Isaiah 33, verse 34. Isaiah 33, verse 24. <laughs> No one living in Zion will say, I am ill. And the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. No one living in Zion will say, I am ill. And their sins will be forgiven. What it's saying there is, not only that Zion or a people of God amongst whom he dwells will live in health, but even if they sin, and sin be the reason for their sickness, even that will be forgiven, so that they may continue to walk in health. Imagine a people like that on the face of the earth. Imagine walking like that. This is what God wanted Israel to be. He said, I walked in your midst. Did any one of you fall sick? Not one feeble person for 40 years. The Bible says that. Whoever fell dead or sick happened because of sin and the plague consuming them. But otherwise, neither did their feet, uh, neither did their sandals wear out, nor did their clothes get old, and not one feeble Israelite was found among them all the days of the wilderness. Roaming around in 40 degree heat for, for 16,000 days, and not one was feeble. Why? Because through the pillar of cloud, he dwelt among them. You think it was real in the Old Testament and it cannot be real in a better covenant? The Old Testament had a covenant that was fading in its glory. We have a covenant that is richer, guys. Right on. Right on. 
gosh man isn't this just ridiculous Isaiah 34 verse 24 33 verse 24 yeah it's just nuts I saying we are super beings because we have a super God dwelling in our midst suddenly normal beings get transformed into a people who live in the very shadow of the almighty this is why Moses could make outrageous statements like he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high no evil shall befall the tent no pestilence we can become a people like that it's not pie in the sky guys Zion a sought after people Zion a sought after people guys because of how a people called Zion will be uh, will display very obviously the presence of God amongst them they become sought after by those who are hungry. And those uh, people come and start asking the way to Zion. I'm telling you, I told you that we have a six-month uh, period before we begin to um, speak as Zion. I, I said that two weeks ago. Um, a people, a Zion people will begin to display the presence of God in them. It will be obvious in our characteristics. It will be obvious in our holiness. It will be obvious in our uh, ability to walk in health. It will be obvious in our protection. It will be obvious in all these characteristics and perspectives we've been talking about. And people who are hungry now will begin to seek, saying, show me the way to Zion. Show me the way to Zion. They'll start doing this. You know, in the last four days, I have had two pastors come to me and say, could you come and uh, teach us about Zion and father and sons? Just out of the blue. I just met them and uh, they... Uh, we started talking and I, uh, they told me what they were doing and I said, we, this is what we're doing. And they said, we'd like to give you... One, one pastor wants me to come for three Sundays and teach on Zion and fathers and sons. Another pastor wants me to take two Sundays and teach on fathers and sons and Zion. Because suddenly, those that are hungry will say, show us the way to Zion. So in... Because I may be going away in July, I'll be doing this in August. Otherwise, I was to start on July 5th. That's the way it works. Even tribes that may be buried. You know, uh, there's a place in Isaiah, Jeremiah 31.6. Just try Jeremiah 31.6. I think it's there. Jeremiah 31.6. Yeah. Jeremiah 31.6. Come, uh, there will be a day when the watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim. Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lorda. God and uh, the background of that is the word Ephraim means double fruit Ephraim means double fruit and yet what had happened with Ephraim was uh, some of the kings in Ephraim had set up golden calves at Dan and Beersheba and so people were there worshipping the golden calves instead of worshipping God and here the scripture is saying a day is coming when even those of the tribe of Ephraim, which means the tribe of double fruit, will leave their golden calves and will come and say, let's go to Zion because that's where God dwells. And I'm saying to you, the time is coming when people of Zion will be a sought after people and tribes that are bearing double fruit have tremendous success, will still come leaving their golden calves. Golden calves are man-made, man-chiseled traditions and ways. They will leave it and say, let's go find out what a Zion people are. 
This church has six months, I told you that. Before we become a people that will have to stand and make these things known. But it's already happening because whatever is going to happen to the house will happen in my life a little before that happens. It's just the way it works. Zion births a people from every tribe and nation, guys. And you get forged into one new man. That's how it works. If you go to Psalm 87, verses 5 to 7, you see that Psalm 87. Um, Wayne, can I trouble you one last time to switch off the thing now? Because some people are frozen. I haven't seen them move for the last two minutes. I'm talking about the air conditioning. Psalm 87, verse 5 to 7. And it says there, Indeed, Zion, of Zion it will be said, This one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in his register of people, This one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, All of my fountains are in you. This is supposed to be something that God is doing on the earth now. We read in Psalm 102, verse 16, that God is rebuilding Zion. So it is natural that once we get to know this, we need to, God will use us. Once we begin to not just know it, but live it, God will begin to use us to now let it be birthed everywhere. And once it's birthed, it'll come forth in other places too. And we shall all become one new man. If you turn to Isaiah 66, verse uh, 7. Isaiah 66, verse 7. Before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before she, before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Who has ever heard of such a thing? Before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. The point there uh, is to say that a time is coming when uh, people begin to catch on to the fact that God is rebuilding Zion. And it will be so easy for others to grasp it that the whole idea of a people called Zion will begin to spread like crazy here on earth. There won't even be time for gestation and pain of labor. It will be... Because at the end of the day, what God wants to bring here on earth is something called a man-child or the new man. If you turn to Revelation, and we'll just touch on it briefly and then not go into it further because I don't know enough about it. But I'll just show you where it says so. Revelations, uh, Revelations 12 maybe. Let me just see. Yeah. Um, uh, Revelations 12.5 when we do it in the Bible study I'll explain it more but just so we understand what God is going to birth on earth Revelations 12.5 she will give birth to a son a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter she will give birth to a child a male child or a man child who will rule the nations with a scepter and we will talk about how ruling is part of Zion's destiny I just want to leave that verse with you we won't explore it now if it has Piqued your curiosity, keep coming to the Bible study as every Tuesday, every alternate Tuesday, and we'll talk about that. Moving on. Well, let's take a break. Any questions? Other than the scripture on Revelations, if you have any questions. Wayne, can we break? Go ahead, Miriam. Okay. 
Zion is a city of priest kings. How do we know that? Because uh, to begin with, Christ, our capstone, is a priest and a king. So it's natural that if the capstone or the cornerstone is where the rest of the building takes its shape from, that the rest of the building also operates in the mode of priest kings. Also, uh, if you look at Zion in the Old Testament, Zion at one point was the city of David. I'll show you from scripture actually. If you turn to um, 2 Samuel 5 9, 2 Samuel 5 9, 2 Samuel, after 1 Samuel, before Kings. 2 Samuel 5 9. Okay, and here's what 2 Samuel 5.9 says. 2 Samuel 5.9 says, David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the supporting terraces inward and he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Now go to 2 Samuel 6.12. 2 Samuel 6.12. Now King David was told... The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went down and brought the brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Why am I giving you those two scriptures? To show you that Zion from the Old Testament times was both the seat of the throne and the seat of the Ark. It was both a place of ruling and a place of Religion. It was both political and religious. It was both priest and king. David ruled as a king from Zion. David also was a priest out of Zion. So the whole idea of priest kings is very intrinsic to Zion. It's it's in Zion's DNA. Anyone who anyone who belongs to a people called Zion are by birth priest kings. Christ was the ultimate high priest and the ultimate king of kings. He is the capstone. It is a natural birth um, DNA to be priest kings. We've talked about priest kings at length, but we need to understand this. In fact, uh, if you look at uh, uh, Genesis chapter 14, Genesis 14, Genesis is just where the Bible begins and before the second book. Genesis 14. On the tape, they'll think I'm preaching to people who don't know that. Genesis 14, verse... Verse uh, 17. Then Melchizedek, sorry, after Abraham returned from the defeat of Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him. Okay, verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High and blessed Abraham. Okay, so we know that Melchizedek was the king of Salem. Salem stands for? Salem stands for? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews 7. I, I, when we go to Hebrews 7, we'll see it there. I think. Hebrews 7. Verse 1. Hebrews 7 verse 1. Then Melchizedek was the king of Salem and the priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Salem is another word for Jerusalem. 
Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or the end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Guys, what I'm trying to say is that the first mention of Jerusalem or Zion, even before Zion is mentioned first in Deuteronomy 4.48, but Jerusalem is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18 to 20. And we talked about how Jerusalem is another name sometimes used for Zion. And we see that the first person introduced from Jerusalem was a priest king. He was the king of Salem, the king of righteousness, and he was a priest. So it's natural for us as people of Zion to be priest kings. So let's quickly talk about priestcraft in Zion and kingcraft in Zion and then we'll stop. Psalm 132 verse 16. Psalm 132, verse 16. You'll have to go home and go over this, pour over this, understand it, live it, come back next week, and we'll talk more about it. Psalm 132, verse 16. Psalm 132, verse 16. Look at what it says about the priests in Zion. I will clothe her priests with salvation. I will clothe her priests with I want you to look at the Hebrew word Yesha is salvation and Yesha means prosperity deliverance and liberty and so one of the things that God says about the priests of Zion is, I will clothe them with Yesha, Y-E-S-H-A, which means I will clothe the priests of Zion with liberty, deliverance, prosperity, and the oil of joy. I will clothe the priests, I'll do the Wanda White thing. Huh? I'll clothe a priest with liberty, prosperity and deliverance and the oil of joy. Really? (laughs) Okay, so that's one of the things he clothes priests with. 132.17 Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. Meaning, God will cause the priests to increase in the display of power and glory. He'll cause the priests to increase in the display of power and glory. Guys, this is what we need to be clothed with. Uh, We've talked about priests in the future, in the past, so I'm not talking much about it. But please understand that as a priest in Zion, I need to begin to reflect. Um, what I'm clothed in I'm clothed in liberty so there should be this amazing freedom that you smell, taste um, uh, um, see displayed in me not legalism but liberty the other thing you need to see in a priest of Zion or a priest who belongs to a people called Zion is is that he walks uh, uh, delivered from uh, both the things of the world and the things of the flesh and the things of the enemy. Because how can I uh, minister deliverance if I am in bondage? 
It's difficult. It's not impossible, but it is difficult. So priests walk in liberty, in deliverance, and in prosperity. By prosperity, it doesn't mean how much money is in my um, wallet. By prosperity, I mean shalom, welfare. Not as in welfare, welfare, as in <laughs> overall well-being is what is meant by prosperity here. It includes abundance and it includes resources, but it's not talking about the amount of money you have. That's the kind of priest who walk out of Zion, because if you are obeyed Edom, and God's ark dwells in your house, it should be natural. If God actually dwelt in your house, wouldn't you walk healed? If God actually dwelt in your, dwelt in your house, wouldn't your provisions be supplied? And so either God does not walk with us or God is speaking lies or I'm not walking with him. God can't lie so the equation gets pretty simple. But that's the people we are called to become. Priests of Zion walk in righteousness. Priests of Zion walk in righteousness. Vital. If, if as priests of a people called Zion our lives don't display holiness then um, really uh, your priesthood is taken away from you because in the Old Testament if you had a defect you were not allowed into the sanctuary go, uh, go ahead Matt do ask literally freedom like deliverance and stuff that's like freedom from sin uh, no by liberty and freedom I meant free of legalism a freedom both this way and in the ways of God it's that kind of liberty I'm talking about Yes. I agree. You're right. So then you're right. I understand. I am Jesus perfect. That's the thing. Uh, the beautiful thing about the people of Zion is they suddenly realize that they are as perfect as Christ, that they are as righteous as Christ. And now the part that they have to work on is beginning to live out the righteousness and the perfection of Christ that is already within you outward and that is where I have to choose to conform to God and not to the world and it's not a struggle nor is it a choice it's a preference and once we move from looking at sin as and righteousness as a struggle once we move from looking at sin as a choice between sin and righteousness and we decide that Righteousness is going to be a preference because I like God. Suddenly, it becomes very simplified. Yeah, yeah, sure thing. Thanks, man. Once we do this, no, we can, with power and accuracy, we can um, have the word and salvation go forth from us. Uh, please stay with me for another ten minutes, and then we are done. So, yeah. So don't 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 um, phase off at right now because this next part is important. As priests, when we begin to walk in deliverance, when we begin to walk in freedom, when we begin to walk in liberty and in well-being, as priests, when we begin to walk in righteousness, then it is easy for salvation and the word of God to go out of a Zion people because they're living it. It goes out of them easily because at the end of the day, folks, it's not tracts. It's not crusades, it's not tent meetings, it's not witnessing 
That is the greatest tool of evangelism. The greatest tool of evangelism is the glory of God that resides in you. Never forget that. It is impossible to come against that and not be uh, provoked, touched, uh, taken aback or go forward. Always remember that. The greatest tool of evangelism is the glory of God. Everything else is a method to facilitate evangelism. But the greatest tool of evangelism is when a people realize that the glory of God dwells in them. This is why when they continued in the apostles doctrine, when they continued in the breaking of bread, when they continued in fellowship and in prayers, thousands upon thousands began to get added to the church. Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 44. Why? Because suddenly people realized, oh shucks, the presence of God dwells in these no-name fishermen. They suddenly realized it. The glory of God, if we want to recap, is the splendor, the weight, the reputation, the character, the nature, the power of God, all wrapped into one, is the word glory or kabod. And who is the glory of God? The Christ is the visible glory of the invisible God. And where does he reside now? The Christ resides in us as a people and in us as individuals. So, when this Christ who is veiled in flesh begins to display himself because the flesh is no longer what is working in us, but it is the power of God working in us, the world will see. It is impossible to escape it, guys. It is impossible to escape it. It is the greatest tool of evangelism. Hallelujah. Right on. Right on. So that is why when we become priests who live by the standards of Zion, it is natural for salvation and the word of God to go out, go forth from Zion. It's very natural. This is why God wanted a people to become a people of Zion so that it wouldn't be an effort anymore. It would go out like waves rolling out. It would go. It would go. And finally we come to kings. King craft in Zion. The last bit. King craft in Zion. Hey, today is the longest day in the year. So we could go on for another two hours and it still wouldn't be dark. <laughs> Just kidding. Not completely, but... Kingcraft in Zion. Because the people of Zion take their lead from the resident king in their midst, I'll repeat it again, Zion people are from the root of Jesse and the tribe of Judah. I love this. Because a Zion people take their lead from the resident king in their midst. I mean, we take our lead, we are shaped by, we connect as, we become as our capstone, our cornerstone is. Because a people of Zion take their lead from the resident king in their midst, a people of Zion are from the stock or the root of Jesse. And a people of Zion are from the tribe of Judah. So if someone asks you your genealogy, after you tell them you're from the Patamukil family in Matakatu, Kerala in India, Always remember to also tell them that you are from the stock of Jesse, the root of Jesse, and you are from the tribe of Judah. Because that's who you are, man. That's your genealogy. 
We got to understand this. We got to understand this. Yeah, we got to grasp it. Got to grasp it. Got to grasp it. And if we, why do we need to grasp this, guys? Because if you are from the root of Jesse, if that's your stock, and if you're from the tribe of Judah, then the scepter is your rightful possession. Then the scepter is your rightful possession. Because if you go to Psalm 2, your rightful possession because just like King Arthur if I may use a myth just like one had to go and pull Excalibur out of the rock or get handed Excalibur from the river so the only one who can rightfully possess the scepter are the ones who belong to the tribe of Judah and who come from the stock of Jesse otherwise Unless you begin to understand that that's your natural DNA. And a, and, a, and a Zion people know that. They begin to actually believe it and then begin to live it out. That's when the scepter comes into your hands and now you have the right to rule. And we'll talk about ruling just a bit today and more as we begin to explore it. But if you go to Psalm, what did I say? Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Verse? Verse 9. Yeah. Yeah, start at 7. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, this is Jesus' coronation, uh, in a sense of speaking. I, I, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. This was These were the words I uttered over when he was baptized. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Go to Genesis 49.10 Genesis 49 I think it's 10. Genesis 49 Yeah, I didn't check actually. Genesis 49 Yeah, it is. 8 onwards. Genesis 49.8 Genesis 49.8 Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hands will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son will bow down to you. You are like a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion who crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff, staff from between his feet, until he, it comes to, he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. Go to Isaiah 11.2. It's not in your scriptures, but I think there's another reference there. Isaiah 11, 2. Yeah. Isaiah 11, 2. I'll just read 11, 1 and then go to 11, 4. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse or the stalk of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. Verse 4. Or verse three and a half. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Guys, this is the stock you belong to. This is the tribe that you belong to. And once you begin to 
grasp, once we begin to grasp it, we begin to actually believe it. And then God says, son, you've come to a place where you actually believe it. I can give it to you now. It's like your kids. Uh, it comes to an age where the mother says, okay, this is the dress that I got married in. I think you're ready to have it now. Part of the reason they're giving it is because they don't fit it into it anymore, but that's different. But they still give it to the daughter and they say, this is the dress I got married in. So, thank God men don't have to do that. Um, therefore, <laughs> the law will go out of Zion and a Zion people... Okay, go to Isaiah 2.3. Isaiah 2.3. We're almost done, guys. Isaiah 2.3. Ah, I love the scripture. I love the scripture. Let's start at verse 1. Isaiah 2. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. Who is the mountain of the Lord's temple? Moi. Us. What's us in French? Huh? Moi is me. Nu. Yeah, N-O-U-S. Who is the mountain of the temple of the Lord? Everybody together? New. Okay. Uh, <laughs> as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills. Uh, it will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, and listen to this. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he will judge between nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Some of it is already happening, some of it is for a time not yet. But the point is this, guys, the law or the decree or the declarations go out of a people called Zion. Unless we become these people, we will never understand the God who is resident among us, who has all the possessions of the earth, and who will whisper into our ears saying, Here son, this is what I want you to decree, because the law will go out of Zion. Zion is a people. God always uses people here on earth to bring to pass decrees and his will. Why did Jesus ask us to pray, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven? Because he wanted us to make declarations and decrees because the law was always supposed to go out of a people. Israel was supposed to be that uh, nation that would show the world how God works. Which is why God said to Israel, Israel, don't worry, I'm taking you out of Egypt and through you, I will show Pharaoh who is God and through you, I will show all the nations around that you are a People that I carry in my arms like a father bears his children, like an eagle bears its young, and they shall know that God dwells among them. It was always his intent to use a people to display his power. Always his intent. So when we become that people, suddenly decrees start going out from us. Because God dwells in our midst and we hear him and we speak it and it happens. Not because we suddenly have more clout, but Behind us is someone with absolute clout. The word C-L-O-U-T begins and ends in him. So, we need to explore that further and we will. A Zion people will rule in the midst of hostility and enemies. 
and both are characteristics of kings. If you go to Psalm 110 verse 2, guys, we are just um, scratching the surface of kingcraft in Zion. Uh, in the weeks ahead, we may expand on it. Uh, uh, I'm just giving you a taste of it. Psalm 110 verse 2. Psalm 110 verse 2. He <laughs> is like delightful laughter. It's a slight element of glee to it at the expense of the enemy. <laughs> the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. And then he goes on to say what else will happen to the enemy. The Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way and therefore he will lift up his head. It's talking about Christ but who is the body of Christ? Who is Christ dwelling among? Us. New. These are characteristics of king. Hum. <laughs> These are characteristics of kings. To rule in the midst of their enemies and rule in the midst of hostility. It's the characteristics of kings. But I want to say something to you. Kings are not born out of confession. To, to, meaning, uh, to, to go around for the next whole week saying, I'm a king, I'm a king, I'm the son of the king, I'm a son of the king, hallelujah, I'm a king, I'm a king. Kings, yeah. Affirming that doesn't help. Kings do not grow out of confession. Kings grow out of a culture. Kings grow out of a culture. Kings don't grow out of a confession. Because one of the things that unfortunately the church got stuck with is uh, claiming, I'm a king, I'm a king, I'm a king. First of all, for kingship to be established, it is based on your priesthood, guys. We've talked about this. To be a king, you first have to be a priest. Which means, if you are not a priest, if you are not living a life that is holy, your, your right to rule is taken away. But being a king doesn't come through confessing it a hundred times. Being a king comes through growing up in a culture that will begin to spawn kings. Growing up in a culture. And it's natural that if we begin to actually understand and grasp the principles of living in the city of the great king. Psalm 48 2 says that and you know that song. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the side of the north, the city of the great king. If you want to begin to develop into the king that you're called to be, then you have to grow up in a culture that spawns or births kings. And that culture is only found in the city of the great king. And who is the city of the great king? New. Us. Sorry? We. Yes. That's where people are taught by the king of kings to wield the scepter of authority over Babylon. That is where people are taught by the king of kings to wield the scepter of authority. Let me let me put it this way. Um, let's pick on someone. Mm. If you want to construct houses, I would suggest that you don't come and spend time with me. Because I couldn't put together simple stuff that I can
IKEA and bricks and you leave alone construct stuff. If you want to become a builder or someone who's involved in construction, go to Wayne, Matt, or Elma. Spend time with them. He's not here today. Go to them. Spend time with them. If you spend enough time with Wayne, Matt, and Elma, over a period of time, you will begin to apprentice with them and you will grow up in a culture where they don't talk about um, guitar strings. They talk about spanners and hammers and nails and your language will change. Your hands will get rough. Your clothes will look awkward. You'll walk around not with uh, a briefcase but big honking toolboxes. You will not wake up at an early hour but go to work at 5 o'clock and come back at 10. Um, You will come back with splinters in your hand. Why? Because that's the culture that you're suddenly living in. But at the end of the day, two years from now, you will actually construct your own house. That's exactly how Zion works. Zion is a place where kings are birthed. But they first have to understand what Zion is. And suddenly, this culture begins to produce kings. The culture begins to produce kings. And then once the culture produces kings, these kings begin to know how to decree. In the midst of hostility, in the midst of the enemies, and they'll see things happening. They'll see things happening. The culture of the tribe then begins to affect households and individuals. Please understand, this is not something you can attempt on your own as an individual, guys. It's the culture of a tribe that affects the household and then the individual. So if we learn it here, you will start doing it at home. If you learn it at home, you will start doing it as individuals. It will first begin with uh, situations in church that we deal with as kings. Like two weeks ago when we had a prayer time here and we had to deal with a giant that was coming against us. Remember? We talked about, we prayed against that particular thing that was coming against us. And how did we pray? We prayed with God-given decrees. You saw that. We learn it first as a church. Once you learn it as a church, now in your home, you begin to practice it in your household. And once you begin to practice it in your household, you begin to practice it as individuals. And once God sees that they have gotten the hang of behaving like kings and ruling in the midst of hostility and enemies with decrees that I give them, and they're seeing their enemies defeated, now God will say, okay, I want to give you a little more, a little more. And I promise you this, if you stay here long enough, and if we stay on course, I say to you very humbly, then you will see how nations and events in nations, both here in Canada and outside, will begin to turn. I am not kidding you. You know I'm not into histrionics and drama. When we get this right on this level, now God will say, now I can trust you with nations. This will not be some kind of a gathering where we see eagles flying and cannons blazing and, oh, I take this nation for God. No, no, no. no not just heighty fluty stuff out there. No, it'll be, it'll be so simple. It'll be a simple decree. And you will see events turning in nations. I've seen it, guys. But I saw it only as an individual. And really, I'm not interested in seeing it as an individual. I want to see it as a people. 
It's odd, but I'm not interested anymore in just seeing it as an individual. I don't want to say something in a nation and it happens, oh, Jacob said it. No, a people said it, a people said it, a people said it. Because it is out of this people that I get my benefits, my perspectives, my characteristics. It's a people that have to learn this. Nations will then... When that, once we learn that, no, when we see it work in church, then our homes, then our lives, then Zion people will have the capacity to bring nations and events in different nations into subjection. I've seen it through some churches, I've seen it individually, but I want to see it here in this house as a people. And if you stay long enough here, and if you stay the course, you will see it. The nations will acknowledge the glory of God. And tributes and wealth and peoples will be transferred out of the dominion into the kingdom of the Son. So let me end with Micah 4.13 and we are done, uh, at least in terms of the teaching. Micah 4.13. Micah 4.13. Oh, I don't know where Micah is. After Amos. Okay. I don't know where those two are. Micah 4.13 Okay, I got it. Micah 4.13 Rise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will give you horns of iron, I will give you hoofs of bronze, and you will break into pieces many nations. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. That's what will eventually happen. That's what will eventually happen. Wayne, I'm done in terms of the teaching. Guys,